naked. In the warm June sunshine, six or seven hundred little boys and girls were running with shrill yells over the lawns, or playing ball games, or squatting silently in twos and threes among the flowering shrubs. The director and his students stood for a short time watching. That's a charming little group," said the director. In a grassy bay, a boy of about seven and a girl who might have been a year older were playing very gravely a rudimentary sexual game. Charming, I always think. He was interrupted by a loud boo-hooing. From a neighbourhood shrubbery emerged a nurse leading by the hand a small boy who howled as he went. An anxious-looking little girl trotted at her heels. What's the matter? The nurse shrugged her shoulders. This little boy seems rather reluctant to join in the ordinary erotic play. I had noticed it once or twice before, so I'm taking him in to see the assistant superintendent of psychology, just to see if anything's at all abnormal. Quite right," said the director. He turned to his students. "What I'm going to tell you now may sound incredible." He let out the amazing truth. For a very long period before the time of our Ford, and even for some generations afterwards, erotic play between children had been regarded as abnormal. There was a roar of laughter, and not only abnormal, actually immoral. No, and had therefore been rigorously suppressed. Even adolescents. Not possible, barring a little surreptitious autoerotism and homosexuality. But what happened? They asked. What were the results? The results were terrible. They looked around. On the fringe of the group, stood a stranger, a man of middle height, black-haired, eyes very piercing and dark. The director darted forward, hand outstretched, smiling with all his teeth. Controller, what an unexpected pleasure, boys! This is the controller. This is his fordship, Mustafa Mond. The eyes of the saluting students almost popped out of their heads. Mustafa Mond, the resident controller for Western Europe, one of the ten world controllers. He sat down on the bench with the director. He was going to stay, yes, and actually talk to them. You all remember that beautiful and inspired saying of our Fords: "History is bunk. History is bunk." He waved his hand, and it was as though, with an invisible feather whisk, he brushed away. Thebes and Babylon, whisk, and where was Odysseus, Job, Jesus, whisk, Athens, Rome, Jerusalem, all gone, whisk, the cathedrals, whisk, whisk, King Lear, the symphony, whisk. That's why you're taught no history, but now, the time has come. The director of hatcheries and conditioning looked at him nervously. Mustafa Mond intercepted his anxious glance. It's all right, director. I won't corrupt them. The DHC was overwhelmed with confusion. In the four thousand rooms of the centre, 
the 4,000 electric clocks simultaneously struck four. Discarnate voices called from the loudspeakers, Main day shift, off duty, second day shift, take over. In the lift, on their way up to the changing rooms, Henry Foster and the assistant director of predestination rather pointedly turned their backs on Bernard Marks from the Psychology Bureau, averted themselves from that unsavoury reputation. Going to the Feelies this evening, Henry? inquired the assistant predestinator. I hear the new one at the Alhambra is first rate. There's a love scene on a bearskin rug. They say it's marvellous. Every hair of the bear reproduced. The most amazing tactual effects. The smile on Bernard Marx's face was contemptuous. Every hair on the bear, indeed. I shall make a point of going, said Henry Foster. Mustafa Mond leaned forward, shook a finger at them. Just try to realize what it was like to have a viviparous mother. Try to imagine what living with one's family meant. They tried, but obviously without the smallest success. And do you know what a home was? They shook their heads. Home. A few small rooms, stiflingly over-inhabited by a man, by a periodically teeming woman, by a rabble of boys and girls of all ages. Physically, it was a midden reeking with emotion. Mustafa Mond nodded. You may well shudder. From her dim crimson cellar, Lenina Crown shot up seventeen stories, turned to the right as she stepped out of the lift, walked down a long corridor and opened the door marked Girls' Dressing Room. She plunged into a deafening chaos of arms and bosoms and torrents of hot water. Hello, Fanny, said Lenina to the girl beside her. Who are you going out with tonight? Nobody. Lenina raised her eyebrows in astonishment. I've been feeling rather out of sorts lately, explained Fanny. Dr. Wells advised me to have a pregnancy substitute. He says it'll make all the difference to my health for the next three or four years. I hope he's right, said Lenina. But do you really mean to say that for the next three months you're not supposed to... Oh, no, dear, only for a week or two. I'll spend the evening at the club. I suppose you're going out. Lenina nodded. Who with? Henry Foster. Again? Do you mean to tell me you're still going out with Henry Foster? But after all, Lenina was protesting, it's only about four months now since I've been having Henry. Only four months, I like that. And what's more, continued Fanny, pointing an accusing finger, there's been nobody else except Henry all that time, has there? Lenina blushed scarlet, but her eyes remained defiant. No. I really do think you ought to be careful. It's such horribly bad form to go on and on like this with one man. It really won't do. And you know how strongly the director objects to anything intense or long-drawn. He'd be furious if he knew. Of course, there's no need to give him up. Have somebody else from time to time, that's all. He has other girls, doesn't he? Of course he does. Trust Henry Foster to be the perfect gentleman. It was me. I hadn't been feeling very keen on promiscuity. There are times when one doesn't. Haven't you found that, Fanny? Fanny nodded. But you must make the effort, Lenina. After all, everyone belongs to everyone else. 
our Ford, continued the controller, or our Freud, as for some inscrutable reason he chose to call himself whenever he spoke of psychological matters, was the first to reveal the appalling dangers of family life. The world, he had explained, was full of fathers, and therefore full of misery, full of mothers, therefore of every kind of perversion from sadism to chastity, full of brothers, sisters, uncles, aunts, therefore of madness and suicide. There were also monogamy and romance, though you probably don't know what those are. The students shook their heads. Family, monogamy, romance. Everywhere exclusiveness, a narrow channeling of impulse and energy. But, he concluded, citing the hypnopedic proverb, everyone belongs to everyone else. The students nodded, emphatically agreeing with a statement which upwards of 62,000 repetitions in the dark had made them accept, not merely as true, but as axiomatic, self-evident, utterly indisputable. To tell the truth, said Lenina, I'm beginning to get just a tiny bit bored with nothing but Henry every day. She pulled on her left stocking and contrived to look casual. Do you know Bernard Marx? Fanny looked startled. You don't mean to say, why not? Bernard's an Alpha Plus. Besides, he asked me to go to one of the savage reservations with him. I've always wanted to see a savage reservation. But his reputation! What do I care about his reputation? I think he's rather sweet. She smiled to herself. How absurdly shy he had been. He's so small. Smallness was so horribly and typically low caste. But I think that's rather sweet. One feels one would like to pet him, you know, like a cat. Fanny was shocked. They say somebody made a mistake when he was still in the bottle, thought he was a gamma, and put alcohol in his blood surrogate. That's why he's so stunted. Lenina was indignant. What nonsense! Lenina Crown said Henry Foster, echoing the assistant predestinator's question as he zipped up his trousers. A splendid girl, wonderfully pneumatic. I'm surprised you haven't had her. I can't think how it is I haven't, said the assistant predestinator. I certainly will, at the first opportunity. From his place on the opposite side of the changing room aisle, Bernard Marks overheard what they were saying and turned pale. He'd have liked to go up to them and hit them in the face. Henry patted the assistant predestinator on the shoulder. Yes, I really do advise you to try her. Everyone belongs to everyone else, after all. One hundred repetitions three nights a week for four years, thought Bernard Marx, who was a specialist on hypnopedia. Sixty-two thousand four hundred repetitions make one truth. Idiots. The lift was crowded with men from the Alpha changing rooms, and Lenina's entry was greeted by friendly nods and smiles. She was a popular girl, and at one time or another had spent a night with almost all of them. They were dear boys, she thought, as she returned their salutations. Still, looking at Benito Hoover, 
She couldn't help remembering that he was really too hairy when he took his clothes off. Turning with eyes a little saddened by the recollection, she saw the small, thin body, the melancholy face of Bernard Marx. Bernard, I was looking for you. The others looked round curiously. I wanted to talk to you about our New Mexico plan. I'd simply love to come with you for a week in July. Anyhow, she was publicly proving her unfaithfulness to Henry. Fanny ought to be pleased, even though it was Bernard. That is, Lenina gave him her most significant smile, if you still want to have me. Bernard's pale face flushed. Why, she wondered, but at the same time touched by this strange tribute to her power. Before he could answer, the lift came to a standstill. Roof, called a voice. The lift man was a small simian creature dressed in the black tunic of an Epsilon Minus semi-moron. He flung open the gates. The warm glory of afternoon sunlight made him start and blink his eyes. Oh, Roof, he repeated. He was as though suddenly and joyfully awakened from a dark, annihilating stupor. Then a bell rang, and from the ceiling a loudspeaker issued its commands. Go down, floor 18, go down. The liftman slammed the gates, touched a button, and dropped back into the twilight of his own habitual stupor. <laughs>